Good morning once again. Uh, for those of you that may not have been in the room earlier, my name is John and I'm the pastor here and we are in a series called Build Family. But I cannot start the message this weekend without addressing the elephant in the room. Because the very first song that we sang today was called Victory. And later on tonight, there's a, you might have heard of this, there's a game. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And in and this morning, when we got together for our huddle up, okay, every morning, every morning before church, everybody who's serving anywhere at Carolina Family Church, we all gather over in the media center and we circle up and we talk about what's going on for the day and we pray together. And then we all come to the middle and we put our hands into the center, kind of like a huddle. And uh, we do a little chant that we do every single week, just reminding us of what we're doing and why we're here. And then we always do the one, two, three, and then we yell something and we all put our hands up like this. And it's different every single week. And it's kind of fun every week to come together and figure out, you know, what it's going to be, what's the chant going to be. And we don't decide until we're in the middle. So we got into the middle and we were standing around like we didn't know exactly what we were going to chant. Some weeks it's obvious, sometimes it's not. And someone said, Super Bowl. And I said, great, Rams on three. Ready? <laughs> One, two, three. For those of you who don't know, they're playing the Patriots. And I can't stand the Patriots, okay? And, and it's not just because they're the Patriots. A lot of people hate the Patriots just because of the Patriots. I hate them because I'm a Bills fan. And so I can't stand the Patriots. I want a chance to win our division just once. And so today we find out if God really is in control, okay? So he's in control either way. Well, I'll, talk, I'll actually hit back on that later. But anyway, we're in the series called Built Family. And this is not just about family, although it is husband, wife, parents, kids, cousins, brothers, sisters, all of that. It's really about something bigger, about building our relationships. And any kind of family, you know, you may have friends that you consider like family, people at work that you consider like family, classmates that you consider like family, teammates who you play a game together with and practice with, and they're like family. And so what we're talking about is how to build the best possible relationships this year that we can, because if we build the best relationships this year, then we're going to have the best year. And that's how we get, that's how we judge our relationships. So I was thinking about this idea of building. I love building stuff. I love construction. I've always got a project going on. And I'm thinking about our relationships almost like a house. And you got different parts to your house. And just like that, you have different kinds of relationships in your life. Like I walk into my house, and if we hadn't just moved in, this would be true. In our other house, let me, let me back up. I go to our house, and we had decorations, pictures on the wall, things that have accumulated over the years. We just moved into a new house, so we don't have any of that stuff. It's like we feel like we're living in an apartment right now. But... Um, but you have that stuff all over the place. And it's fun and it's interesting, but it kind of comes and goes as time goes on. And I think there's some relationships in our life that are like that. Friendships we have that are here for a season and then gone for a season and they're fun people to hang out with and we have common interests maybe for a period of time, but they're not really instrumental to the rest of our life. They're sort of like furniture or like decorations hanging on the wall. And then we have relationships that are like the mechanical aspects of the house, like the HVAC unit and like the the stove, the oven, the refrigerator, the, the lights, all those kinds of things, the electrical wiring, the relationships we have that have to be there in order for things to work, but we don't necessarily um, feel the warmest feelings about them. So that might be your boss, for example, or it might be the teller at the DMV might be an example of someone who's a mechanical relationship in your life, and you need to have a good relationship with those people, okay? Have, if you're in a neighborhood, have a good relationship with the president of the HOA, okay? But it's a mechanical relationship. We have those in our life. 
Then we have what I consider structural relationships. These are people who are fixtures in our life, and without them in our life, everything seems to be falling apart. These may be uh, friends that we have that we're very, very close with. They may be, uh, like I said, someone at work or like at school. It might be, um, it might be you might consider the, the structural people your, your spouse or your brother or your sister or your blood family in some way. They're people who are there, and in order for the house to, to be in order, those relationships need to be going well. But then I think that there's a fourth level of relationships that's more important than any of those. And if we get the fourth level relationships correct, then everything else in our life seems to, be, to go a lot better. And those are foundational relationships. You know, every house starts with a good foundation. In fact, you, you, you watch a house being built and it's a little shocking because when the, first, when the house first starts, it feels like it's taken forever to build the thing. Because you gotta, you gotta do the site work and then you gotta prepare the foundation. You gotta pour the foundation. You gotta let the foundation set and cure and it feels like nothing's happening. And then eventually, once all that work is done, then the house starts getting built and it feels like things go really fast. But contractors know that if you want the house to be stable, the foundation has to be solid. If the foundation isn't solid, it doesn't matter what the rest of your relationships are like or what the rest of the house is like. It's in trouble. Cracking the foundation is going to affect everything above it. And so these foundational relationships are crucial to all of our relationships going well. They're resilient and they last. When a hurricane comes through, it can take out everything. It can take out all the structure. It can take out all the mechanical. It can take out all the decorations. But it's not going to take out the foundation of the house. It stays. It stands. And so what I want to talk to you about today is how to build foundational relationships in your life. And in order to get there, we're going to kind of go around the horn. So I'm going to need you to hang with me. We're going to come, we're going to bring it back to that when we get around to it. And uh, so we're going to go in scripture to Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 16. It's nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. He's got his disciples with him. They've been following him around. He's been training them and showing them how to live. And it's getting close to the, not the end for him, but you know what I mean. It's getting close to the cross for him. And he really wants to drive into them the most important things in his ministry. And uh, he tells them something he hasn't discussed in depth with them yet, and it shocks them. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, he hadn't gone into depth with them on this up until this point, but he knew it was coming. He knew that he was going to be tried. He knew that he was going to be executed. They didn't know that. They thought that he was the, the, the Messiah. He was coming to save the people and that he was going to rise to power and that he was going to overcome all these challenges that were coming at him. That's what they were expecting. So when he starts throwing this death thing at them, and I don't think they even heard the resurrection piece. I think they just got stuck on the death piece. When they heard that coming, they could not believe that that's what was about to happen. And so Peter, he's the loudmouth of the bunch. He's the one who speaks up when Jesus says this so definitively for the first time. And it says, uh, but Peter, uh, or sorry, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine this for a second? I know we all think of Jesus the way we think of him, 
I hope we respect him. I hope we honor him. I hope we revere him. Yet, when Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to town, I'm going to be accused, I'm going to be executed, I'm going to rise again, Peter pulls him to the side. He's like, Jesus, don't say that, man. <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk about stuff like that. You can't say that kind of stuff, man. you got to stop. And so Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. Uh, he said, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. No, this can't possibly be true. Jesus, it can't possibly be true. I don't believe it. And Jesus turns to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Have you ever heard that phrase before? This is where it comes from. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And I don't know about you, but I'm reading through the story and Jesus says, you know, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again, which is totally normal. To, you know, I, I know that, you know, that's commonplace knowledge for me now. It wasn't for Peter. Peter says, Jesus, you can't talk. What are you talking about? You can't talk about this stuff. And then, and then Jesus calls him Satan. I'm like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> Where did that come from? I, Peter must have wondered what, because Peter thought he was doing something good. You know, Peter thought he was defending Jesus. Peter thought, but Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, a, a, crazy, right? Why does Jesus have such a visceral reaction to Peter saying you shouldn't talk about this or this isn't true? Jesus explains it. He says, you are an offense to me. Again, that's strong. It seems disproportionate to what Peter has done, doesn't it? But he says, you're an offense to me. And here's why. This, and, and before we read it, I know you're reading ahead already, but before we read it, this is a big deal to Jesus. It's obvious this is a massive deal to Jesus, what Peter just did. He says, uh, Jesus... Uh, Let's see, you're an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And this is really interesting because just a few verses later, if you take your Bible this week and you go back and you read what just happened, um, Jesus had, had asked his disciples, he said, who do you think I am? And, uh, and they spoke up and they said, well, some people say you're Elijah and some people say you're a prophet and some people say you're this and that. And he says, yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, that's right, Simon. And that's why you're called, that's why you're called Peter, the rock. It means the rock. And then Jesus uses a word play. And he says, that's right, Peter. That's the reason you're called the rock. But he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, to be clear, when Jesus said that to Peter, he was not saying Peter was the rock on which the church would be built and that the gates of hell would not prevail against Peter. He was saying Peter's confession is the rock on which the church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against that confession, the belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Peter has this big mountaintop moment where Jesus says, that's right, yes, you're getting it, you're getting it. Belief in me, belief in my work is what's going to matter. And then Peter immediately turns around and says, no, no, Jesus, you can't die. You can't die. That can't possibly be true. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You need to take your mind and your eyes and your heart off this world. And you need to take your mind and your heart and your eyes and you need to put them on the next world, the kingdom that he's bringing. This is the consistent message of Jesus' ministry. And it never ceases to amaze me how many teachings I hear out of the Bible which encourage people to put their focus, their attention, and their hope on this world. And that is exactly the opposite of the message of Jesus Christ. 
said, you've got to get your mind off this world, your eyes off this world, and you need to look forward to what's coming. You need to be preparing for what's coming, not for what is. And that's why Jesus is so frustrated and he's so offended by what Peter says. And he looks at his disciples, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the difference between focusing there and focusing here. And then he says, famous verse, you've probably heard it before, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward then he will reward each according to his works. This is the consistent message of Jesus' ministry. I say, what does it have to do with relationships? We're laying groundwork for what those foundational relationships look like. This week, uh, I had a conversation with a friend, and I told you last week it's dangerous to be my friend right now because it seems like all my friends are getting fired from their jobs. And just be aware of that. You may want, it's like the flu. So you might just want to, you know, we'll fist bump, not handshake, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't think it's transferred through a, through a fist bump. But uh, I was with a friend and uh, he got, he ended, up, he ended up quitting, but he got railroaded out of his job, okay? And uh, there's a lot of details behind it. But the people who were a part of kind of pushing him out, edging him out, uh, what they did was not honest. And it's not the first time they've done it. And he looked across the table from me, and I could just I could see in his eyes, you know, there's a there's a I don't know to describe it, but there's a look that people get in their eyes when they've experienced injustice. It's a look, something something deep within their soul where they, it's like they're struggling to know who they can trust, and what's safe and what's not safe because they just got blindsided, you know. It's like it's like a. It's like someone who just, who just got attacked or who's just, you know, a crime was committed against them and now they're afraid to go out of the house and walk in the street and to, to trust this person or that person. And so they're gun shy of all that. And I could see all that in his eyes. And he looked back across the table and with pain, he said, how many times are people like this going to win? How many times are they going to get away with this? And I'll tell you what I told him. Here, maybe every time. Maybe every time. It is very important for us to understand as we walk through life. It's important for you to understand that Satan is the king of this world. Okay? Don't be fooled into thinking otherwise. Satan is the king of this world. You know, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And Satan took him up on the top of a tall mountain and he showed him all the lands of the earth. And he said, Jesus, if you'll bow down to me, I will give you all of this. And of course, Jesus denied him. And he said, no, no, no. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was not going to bow down to Satan. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't ever question Satan's ability to give him everything that he saw. Because Satan had that power. Satan is the king of this world. And so, yes, evil will win here. Evil will win over and over and over again. Prideful people will rise to the top. Greedy people will rise to the top. Self-centered people will rise to the top. That's the way this world works. 
but it is not the way the coming world works. In the kingdom that Christ is bringing, the meek shall inherit the earth. The humble shall be in positions of authority. And so we need to learn to take our eyes off of this world and take our hope off of this world and place it in the world that is coming and to bring as many people into that mentality with us as we can possibly bring so that we're living as citizens of a different nation even though we are here now. It's a very important understanding. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. He said, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. He's talking about his physical body and all the the degradation that we see and, and all of that. He says, even though my outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That it's almost this beautiful picture that we get in Scripture. He's saying, even though everything around me is crumbling, what's within me is rising. Even though this is falling apart, even though my body is falling apart as I get older, as I get older, my, my soul, my spirit is growing and getting larger and stronger, being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which I think is, a, is one of the great understatements of the Bible. It's like in, uh, when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he was there for 40 days and 40 nights and he didn't eat anything and the Bible says he was hungry. Like, yeah, 40 days and 40 nights without food? No kidding. <laughs> one of the great understatements of the Bible. This is another one. Paul says our light and momentary affliction. Paul has been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown into prison. He's been stoned. He's been, a, he's been attacked. He's had everything that you, he bit by a snake. Everything that you could, all the bad things happened to Paul. And he said this light Affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Earlier we sang a line in a song. All things work together for my good. You work all things together for my good. We sang that eight times in that song, I think. You work all things together for my good. We gotta, if we have our mentality right, we understand that doesn't mean our good now. That doesn't mean God is working all things together so that everything will be right in my life. It means God is working all things together for good so that I am prepared and people are prepared for what's coming. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So when we put our mind on what's coming, we put our mind on the kingdom that he's bringing, we put our hope in the kingdom that is coming, then he's working all things together for that good, to get us ready for that. And so I looked back at my friend across the table and said, they might win every time, but we don't play for now. We play for then. And you may not get what you think is good now, but you will get what is good later if you're faithful through this. That's the difference between having an earthly mentality, a worldly mentality, and an internal mentality, a spiritual mentality. That's why Paul even talks about, uh, or that's why Scripture even talks about when you want to get revenge on someone. He says, don't worry about it. You don't need to get revenge on anybody. God will deal with all of that. Vengeance is mine, the Lord shall repay. You may have heard that Scripture. That's what it's saying. Don't worry about it. It's all all getting sorted out. We're looking forward to what's coming, not to what is. And that is a very 
hard concept for us to grasp because the temporary and the temporal is all we know. This is what we experience every single day. So it's hard to take our eyes off of it and put it somewhere else. But Satan, I'm telling you, he would love nothing more than for you to waste your life on this world. He'd love nothing more than to take your attention off of Christ, to take your attention off of Christ's kingdom, which is coming, and to put your attention here. And so I want to ask you a question, very important question. This, this question is crucial to your spiritual development. It is crucial to, how, to what level of reward you will receive in eternity in Christ's kingdom. Here's the question. Are you hungry for what's eternal? Or are you hungry for what's temporary? Are you hungry for what's eternal? Or are you hungry for what's temporary? That is going to make the difference in your life. It's going to make the difference in the level of satisfaction you feel in life. It's going to make the difference in the level of the kind of impact that you're going to have in life. Are you hungry for what's eternal? Or are you hungry for what is temporary? Also in 2 Corinthians, just a little bit after, where he says, Paul talks about, he said, while, let me finish that verse. I never finished the verse, did I? Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, what are the things which are not seen? For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And then let's go to the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And now what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, okay, we've got this mentality on. We got this mentality on. What are we going to do with it? Here it is. Chapter 5, verse 14 to 21. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us because of what Christ has done for us. Because he died on the cross and he rose again. Because we have, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have put our faith in his death to pay for our sin. We put our faith in his resurrection, conquering sin and death. Because of that love, because of Christ, compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So he's saying our minds should be on him. We should be living for Christ, not for the world. And what do we do with that? I'm not living, I'm not living for now. I'm living for eternity. What do we do? He makes a direct application, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. What's he saying? What does he mean when he says, we regard no one in the flesh? Well, piece of that is this, and this is, this is where we're bringing this idea, this, our mind there instead of our mind here gets to brass tacks and gets to our relationships. When we look at people who have been saved, particularly, but when we look at people in general, we must learn to look at them not with physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. To think of them not as a temporary being, but to look at people and see them as an eternal being that will either spend all of eternity with God or all of eternity separated from God. 
So when you look at the people in your life that you love, your coworkers, your family, your spouse, your children, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your classmates, when you look at them, you need to look at them with spiritual eyes. And not to think about what's happening to them right now, but think about their eternity. Where are they spending eternity? How faithful are they going to be now? Are they prepared for that eternity? And to learn to look at people with spiritual eyes. Here's what Satan does. This is how he tricks us. He gets us to put our eyes on this world. And when we put our eyes on this world and the things that are going on around us, we forget to look at people with spiritual eyes. And so we don't share our faith with them. And so we don't encourage them in the things of Scripture. And so we don't challenge them. And we don't push them. And we don't try to draw them closer to God because we're too concerned about the things that are happening right here. And we're not thinking about what's going to happen then. And so we have to put on those spiritual eyes. The scripture, it's funny, 17, verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's funny. I've heard that. I've read it a million times. I've, I've, I've heard that message preached on and I've always thought about it as pertaining to me and it does. That I read that scripture and I say, hey, if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I can conquer this thing that's in front of me. I can, those things that have held me back or held me down, they don't have to hold me back or hold me down anymore. And, and, and so, you know, I'm a new creation. That's awesome. When Paul writes this, though, he's not talking about himself. I guess he is secondarily. Primarily, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about how you look at other people. That if you look specifically at people that you know are believers or followers of Christ, you need to look at them as a new creation as an eternal being that's going to spend all of eternity with God and that your responsibility is to lead them closer and closer to that. And he says in verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That we need to look at people with spiritual eyes and we need to help them be reconciled to God the way that we've been reconciled to God. Because ultimately it matters a whole lot more than anything else that we could do for them given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them as is committed to us and is committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we are to share the gospel. We are to share the good news. We are to tell people about the love of Christ, which has led us to reconciliation with God and that they can be brought to reconciliation with God. And I just want to say that to you right now in the room if maybe you have never been reconciled to God, you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you've never believed that he died on the cross for you and that he rose again, I want you to know that he did. And I want you to know that he is uh, designed you to live with him forever, but you have to put your faith in Christ in order for that to happen. You have to believe in him. But when you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe that he died for your sin and that he rose again, you are then reconciled to God. You are in a relationship with God and you will spend all of eternity with God, which is the best news I could ever share with you. I want you to know that you are a spiritual being, not just a physical being, not just an emotional being, not just a mental being. You are a spiritual being and God wants to be with you forever, but you got to put your faith in Christ. And if you do put your faith in Christ, he has this incredible journey. He wants to teach you how to take your mind and put it there instead of being here. So that you can become more and more like his son Christ. So that you're ready for that kingdom when he brings it. So that you can have responsibility and reward and all of that in the kingdom that's coming. And that's available to you today. You just have to put your faith in Christ. And he says in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So you want to know where foundational relationships come from? Foundational relationships are relationships which are rooted in eternity. Foundational relationships are relationships which are rooted in eternity. And even death can't shake those relationships. There is something special that happens between two people when they take spiritual responsibility for one another. When they choose to look at each other in kingdom, with a kingdom mindset instead of an earthly mindset. There's something special that happens when we share our faith with someone and they respond to that and accept Christ as their Savior. Let me tell you something. If you have never shared your faith with someone and had them respond in faith and accept Christ as your Savior, you are missing out on the greatest joy that this world has to offer. It, and it creates a connection between you and that person that cannot be created any other way. Not only to know that you are a part of their salvation, but to know that you are now bonded together forever. There is something special that happens when, we have a, when you're in a conversation with somebody and you know they're a believer and they know you're a believer and they're talking about the issue that they're having, the struggle that they're having. They're struggling with pills and, they, and they, they keep going back to the pills and they know what it's doing to their mind and they know what it's doing to their relationships, but they can't get away and they're trying to get freedom from that and they're coming to you and they're asking you for help and you look back at them you look back at them and you say, I believe that you can overcome this through the power of God and I want to help. When you read them scripture, when you challenge them, when you won't let them fall, when you won't let them slip away, when you say, because I know that this is crushing your life now, but more so than that, I know that as this thing controls you, Satan is controlling you and you're losing on reward and joy that could be yours later. And I won't let that happen to you. And so I'm gonna walk next to you. When you have a spiritual relationship with someone like that, it is special. And it's crazy when you make a spiritual connection with someone, how you could, you could be apart from them for years and you get back together and it's like you were just, a, you were just there. Because when you connect with someone on an eternal level, it creates a bond that is not created any other way, a bond that lasts. One of the most powerful relationships, one of the most powerful relationships where this happens is in a marriage. And I know a lot of you are married. Some of you may be thinking about being married one day. What God does is he takes two people and he bonds them together spiritually. By the way, that's why, that's why divorce hurts so bad. It's not just emotional it's not like other relationships. It's spiritual. And God bonds you together and he makes it very clear that in marriage, your responsibility, your primary responsibility to one another is spiritual. We have physical responsibilities. We have emotional responsibilities. We have mental responsibilities. We have financial responsibilities. We have all that. But the most important responsibility you have to your spouse is spiritual. That's why there's a really amazing analogy that Paul uses when he's teaching on marriage in Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking to husbands about how they're supposed to treat their wives. And look at this. Look at what he shows us. He says, husbands, love your wives. Then he says, how? He uses an analogy. Here's how you do it. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That, here's the purpose of giving himself for the church. 
that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul says, you want to know how you're supposed to love your wife? Husbands, you do it the way Jesus loved the church. He gave himself up for her, and the reason he gave himself up to her was to sanctify her, was to purify her, was to, pre- was to be able to present the church holy and blameless to himself, the scripture says, present the church holy and blameless to God. Husbands, your job to your wife, your primary responsibility is to give yourself up for her and to present her holy and blameless before God. Your primary responsibility to your wife is spiritual. And let me flip that around and say, wives, your responsibility to your husbands is the same. That within this church, our responsibility to each other is the same. That the people in your group, your responsibility is the same. That our primary responsibility in our relationships is spiritual. But we will only see things that way and we will only live that way if we ourselves are hungry for what's eternal. If our mindset is on the kingdom that is coming. And so here's our commitment. Here's our commitment for the year. We're doing a commitment every single week. We've talked about honesty and generosity and humility uh, and gener- and well, I said generosity twice. I'm just being generous with that one. Here's our commitment, our 2019 commitment. I will be hungry. I will be hungry. And I obviously got the slide wrong. Because <laughs> it says generous, but it's not. It's hungry, okay? <laughs> not perfect, right? I just want to take a second. I know, this, I know this concept. I know this concept of having eternal eyes and thinking about what's coming is, is, is difficult, but I think part of the reason that it's difficult is because most Christians have a distorted view of what it means, what eternity means. I've struggled with this for a long time because when I looked to the future and I thought about what was coming, I always thought about heaven. And I want to tell you, forgive me for this, I want to encourage you to stop thinking about heaven. Now don't just like quote me out of it. No, like don't parse that up out of the message. There's context. I want to encourage you not to think about heaven. I want you to think past heaven. Because first of all, when we think of heaven or we think about the kingdom of God or eternity, we tend to think of like a cloud and a baby in a diaper with a wing and a, you know, which is creepy to me. I don't think that's how it works. Okay. Now I want to, I want to ask you a question. If if God created a perfect environment for us here on earth that was ultimately ruined by sin, but if God created a perfect environment for human beings to exist and it looked like this world, why would eternity look that much different? I know we look at, think about heaven or the kingdom of God and we think that everything's perfect and there'll be, there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more tears and everything will be wiped away and all that kind of stuff. And so we get this idea that everybody's sort of a zombie. But we won't be. Is your person, I mean... Is, is your personality a sin? I don't think so. Is, is emotion a sin? Is joy a sin? Is laughter a sin? No. So why wouldn't we have all of those same things there as we have here? 
I think people would be shocked to understand how much like the kingdom of God is to hear, minus the sin, minus the rule of Satan. And so, yes, if we die before Christ comes back, we will go to heaven. But ultimately, Christ is returning to earth to establish a new heaven and a new earth. He's coming to establish a government here, a kingdom here, and we will all be a part of that. And the level of faithfulness that we express during our life to God will determine what our roles and responsibilities are in that kingdom. It is very tangible and it is very real. In fact, I would say it's more real than it is here. And so when you think forward to what's coming, I don't want you to think about some ethereal mist in a cloud somewhere. When you think forward, I want you to think about the perfected heavens and earth the way that God originally created them to be and that your job now is to prepare for that and to put your mind and your hopes and your joy there instead of putting it here. And when you think about the people in your life, to think about them there instead of thinking about them here. How do I get them there with me? And how do I get them there with as much reward as they can possibly have? And to look at the people in my life and say, those are the foundational relationships I'm going to create, spiritual relationships where we're all pushing towards the same thing. And that will absolutely transform the way that you look at people. And it will transform the way you look at the relationships in your life. And if you want to build family, if you want to build relationships, those are the ones that you need to start with. All right, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness to us. That you did create this amazing, incredible world for us to live in. We are so sorry that it was marred by sin created so much pain, not only uh, for us, but for everyone who's ever lived in the world as a whole. And We thank you for your love and your grace that you didn't cast us aside. You didn't say, oh, that didn't work and, and, and spin us off into space and leave us. You looked on us with love as humanity, knowing the relationship you created us for and desiring to have it once again. So you set in course a plan to send your very son to earth, to take on human flesh and to die on the cross for us. But before that, to teach us and to show us what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, how different it is, how it contrasts to what we've experienced here. And then he gave his life on the cross, paying for our sin, and he rose again on the third day. And we know that as we put our faith in Christ, God, you forgive us of our sin. And you have a life that you want us to live, a life of faithfulness as we prepare for your return, as we prepare for your kingdom. It's very hard for us, and you know that. You know that we struggle every single day with with the world versus the spirit, the flesh versus the spirit. How do we choose? How do we know which is which? How do we follow? How do we reject the earthly things to accept the spiritual things? And so that's a struggle and we need your help and you've given us your spirit to lead us and to guide us. So help us to be very good at listening to him. Help us, God, to put on this mindset that is so difficult for us. We don't, we haven't experienced heaven. We haven't experienced the kingdom as it will be yet. And so it's hard for us to see it and to picture it and to think about it and to, to, to dwell on it. But that's what you want us to do. And so we need your help with that. We need your help to look past this world. We need your help to see people and to see that in them. To see their spiritual condition above their other conditions. That you would fill us with love and that you would fill us with perspective and peace and joy and hope that rests in what's coming, not in what is. 
I ask that you do that in our hearts. Help us to focus and not be distracted. We know that our enemy would like nothing more than to distract us, to make us ineffective for your kingdom. And we today are saying, I will be hungry. I will choose what is eternal. I will choose what matters. I will choose what is effective. I I will choose what will last. And so I'm going to build relationships that are on a solid foundation. We talk about centering our relationships on you, God. This is what we're doing. We're saying we're going to think of each other eternally. We're going to help each other spiritually. So we need your help in order to do that. We turn our attention to the one who made it possible for us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.